Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck Toll Free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton here with you all. Welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for joining. Much obliged. Much appreciate your time. Tough week for... uh, Ooh, tough week for the Trump administration so far. Uh, uh, the the media is. I, I've I know it, it's tough to say this because there have been so many times when they have said he has gone too far, and that has ceased to have much meaning to say that that Trump has gone too far because if going too far is supposed to result in some kind of consequence, we know that that is not in fact the case. Can I? Call- Um, And so we look at this now and we see that there's a few things that have happened that we could expect. And then there's one thing that maybe was a bit unexpected in terms of the way the media has portrayed this and the way that this is being set up now. The way, remember, news is a narrative. And the way that the left is constructing the current narrative is... Uh, illuminating and disturbing. So let's let's get into this together. Now, uh, by the way, later on the show, we'll have Sean Davis from The Federalist, Matt Walsh from The Blaze. We're going to talk to him about the uh, modern eugenics and Nazism movement that is the abortion industry. We'll have Sean Davis talk to us about the latest in politics and what's going on over on The Federalist. Uh, and I'll talk to you about some craziness at Yale University. We've got many, many and varied topics throughout the show. So don't think that we're just going to spend all of our time discussing Antifa versus Nazis. Um, but here we are uh, jumping into this together. Once again, not talking about how to make anyone's life better in this country. And I, I understand how this game is played. If you want to do that, if you want to discuss... Uh, if you want to discuss programs, policies, ideas that will make Americans uh, safer, more prosperous and freer, that has to wait. Because right now you have to explain why Republicans are not racists. That's where we are now. That's what has happened in the last few days. We we are on defense, whether we want to be or not. I mean, Trump has gone on offense personally, but the Republican Party, as you can tell from the denunciations of Trump by fellow Republicans. The Republican Party right now feels besieged, and and understandably so. Here's Here's what we did expect, should have expected from all this. The media would lie and construct a false narrative, which they did. The media has acted as though there was just a, a racist Nazi march that had peaceful counter-protesters, and the racist Nazis attacked them, and that was it. When in reality it was a riot with extremists, yes, and violent people on both sides. Not all of the people on the counter-protester side were violent at all. 
Um, that's clear, but there certainly were some because who are the Nazis fighting? I've seen all these videos, people punching and kicking and hitting with sticks and uh, macing each other and throwing rocks. And uh, are the Nazis fighting with themselves? No, they're fighting somebody. So there's a riot going on. There's a fight. There's a melee. And they didn't want that to be the story coming out of this. So, of course, we, there was all of the focus on just the Nazis. Okay. So we knew that would happen. And now we're getting more details about it. And it is instructive to see what details the media left out and what they focused on from the beginning. Okay. We knew that. We also knew that immediately this would be used to try and tarnish the entire Republican Party, everyone who voted for Trump, every conservative, that this would turn into, see, they're all racists. See, they all kind of support Nazis. See, they're the bad guys. They being you and me, my friends. Any Anyone who is right of center right now has at least come under suspicion. And I should, and I'll get into this, by the way, the, the only way to exorcise that suspicion of possible racism from you is, is to be completely... Uh, willing to bend the knee, to grovel, to, oh, I, I mean, I, I, this guy doesn't hate racism as much as I hate racism. I hate racism more than anybody's ever hated racism. I don't know if that's enough. Are you sure? Are you sure you hate racism enough? Oh, I hate racism more than anyone's ever hated ra- This guy over here, his hatred of racism is nothing compared to my hatred of racism. This is the, this is what they're forced into. This is what now people on the right, doesn't matter, by the way, if they're Black, white, or any other ethnicity. This is what they're forced to do now. To uh, to decry racism, not just in one statement, but in endless statements. I, I promise I'm not a racist. We're not racist. We're not. And the media keeps asking, oh, are you sure? Are you sure? Trump, are you a racist? Why do the racists like you? Why do the white supremacists like you? Why do neo-Nazis like you? They're bad. They're bad. I decry them. And it doesn't matter, right? They, they, they keep coming after him with this and everybody who supports him with this because it's an effort to create a perception of mass guilt, mass collective guilt in this racist thinking. And, and I will go into some more detail about why, what I think the uh, influences are from this, especially on the right. And this is why you're seeing, you're seeing every, I mean, of course, John McCain and Lindsey Graham, and they're all, you know, they're virtue signaling and grandstanding left and right on this. Uh, and anyone who wants to say that Trump should have done a better job in the first statement and shouldn't have said there were good people on uh, on both sides that that I'm fine. Yeah, I, I, I can go with that. I agree with that. Unwise, un, uh, unwise things to say, unhelpful things to say and opening him up to much more in terms of problems here than there should have been. But. To just turn this into a, oh, well, this is this is just the good people versus the Nazis. That's the storyline you're supposed to take. It's the good people versus the Nazis. I'd like to think it's the American people versus the Nazis, and that includes conservatives and Republicans, and because that is the reality. But when they mean the good people, they mean the left, and apparently the left includes Antifa. This is the unexpected portion of this, I think. I knew that they would take this incident and say, see... They they would inflate the role and support the, the size and role and support of uh, white nationalists. Can we just say, I, I don't know what the best term is. By the way, calling the saying that they're Nazis 
uh, calling them white nationalists. I, I don't know which one is the is the preferred term here. So whatever the the dumb racists. I mean, which whichever one we like to go with. Okay. So uh, when we look at this now, we can understand that they're going to make that they're going to make it seem like those people are much more representative on the right because it's a way of clubbing your political opponents on every issue. Oh, you disagree with us on taxes? Well, you're a racist. You disagree with us on Obamacare, Republicans? Well, that's because you're racists. You, you just go down the you know, counterterrorism, you're an Islamophobic racist. I mean, this is what they want because it allows them to, in their minds, win on everything because it's them, it's the good people versus the racists, and the racists are now Republicans. So this was predictable, and, and I think based on the identity politics of the left, it, it was inevitable. We knew this was going to happen. What I can't say that I entirely saw coming, although... Now, in retrospect, it makes more sense, uh, given all the factors at play, is that the left is not merely saying that Nazis are representative of the right and Antifa is not representative of the left. Right? This is always the fight. You know, are your are your extremists representative of something bigger or are they just a little faction that should be ignored and is not representative of the whole in some or the larger group in some important ways? So early on, it was Antifa is not the Democrats and Nazis are not Republicans. There was this it seemed like and I saw this from some conservatives. Well, that was the agreement we're going to come to. Right. That was the the middle ground, the fair minded way to approach this and to to decry violence on all sides and to denounce racism. and, And we could all move on from there. Oh, but but wait. No, no. The media, the Democrat media but I repeat myself, narrative of events right now is that, yes, in fact, the Nazis are directly tied to Trump ideologically and therefore are representative of the Republican Party. And oh, by the way, Antifa is actually pretty good. They're actually doing good stuff. We we think that Antifa are heroes. If you think I'm exaggerating, you can go and check for yourself and look at some of the um, memes that are out there right now that are showing Antifa or, or stating that Antifa is similar to or is the equi- the modern equivalent of our GIs landing in Normandy to oppose Nazism, fascism, to free Europe. So a bunch of anti-free speech, anarchist, black-clad punks who spit on police, who punch people for no, uh, you know, who aren't threatening them, who punch people because they don't like what they say, who destroy property, who destroy businesses, who think that hurt feelings is an excuse for violence, mayhem, and destruction. According to prominent figures on the left, I mean, the the editors-in-chief of newspapers and major journalists and Antifa, these quote anti-fascists, which by the way, their 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 name is a misnomer. See, the names matter so much here. This is why I hate it when we call the left liberals. They are anti-liberal. This is why I hate it when we call Antifa Antifa, because they're not anti-fascist. They are, in fact, much closer to fascism than many of the people they oppose. And you say, Buck, no, come on, Nazis are fascists. Okay, yeah, but what what about Charles Murray? What about Heather McDonald, who's come on the show, who's an expert in 
policing and criminology. She just looks at the statistics and comes to conclusions. She's a Nazi. Oh, well, they shut down her speech. They threatened her. Charles Murray wanted to talk about class distinctions and separation at Middlebury. And Middlebury College debased itself with the Antifa ideology, at least, of its students who were violent on a small bucolic college campus up in Vermont because they didn't like what was going to be said. This has happened in cities across the country. And I have to say, I think Molly Hemingway last night of The Federalist have to hat tip her for being willing to say what so many conservatives, and I'll tell you why they're scared to say it, but so many seem frightened to say right now. There's a lot I there's a lot of cowardice. There's a lot of cowardice out there because when it comes to discussions of racism, people are worried. They're not worried about the country. They're worried about their reputations. They're worried about their jobs. And I understand that. I'm, I'm not trying to belittle or poke fun at, uh, you know, poke fun at that concern. But I'm going to call it what it is. I mean, there are people who are acting in a cowardly fashion because they won't even speak the basic truths about what's happening here, what's true and what's not. Because racism, the accusation itself, it scares people. But Molly Hemingway was willing to make the point about Antifa. Remember, the left is saying... Antifa is good, more or less. Sometimes they go over the line, but more or less Antifa is good. They're not saying Antifa is not us, Nazis are you, which that was what I assumed, and that is part of it. They're saying Nazis are you, Republicans, but actually Antifa, we, we, we can give them, some, we can give them some, uh, some credit, for good intentions at least. You know, They're standing up against the fascists. Molly Hemingway lit it up. Here she is. It's like we're living in an alternate reality here. People are taking, they're not listening to what Donald Trump actually said on Saturday, and they're not, they're not reading the actual full comments that he gave, where he was explicitly denouncing bigotry and violence, where he called on people to come together. And the fact is that there actually is a violence problem on both the left and the right. In recent years, Americans have seen violent protests in everywhere from Portland, Berkeley, Ferguson, Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Paul, Brooklyn, Baltimore, all throughout the country, people have experienced these violent protests. There was an assassination attempt against Republicans by a totally mainstream progressive leftist activist. There is a problem on all sides, and people need to come together to denounce all of those things and not tar the entire Democratic Party as being part of the leftist violence and not tar the entire Republican Party as being part of the rightist violence. One of the best sound bites from any conservative I've seen on TV in weeks, maybe in months. Big hat tip, big high five to uh, Molly over at the Federalist. Yeah, we're going to now pretend like Antifa is a good thing? You you, you got to be kidding me. Uh, th- this is now okay? We're, we're supposed to think that what they do is not really is not really a problem? Here's a... Oh, well, I've got people. I, I'm, I'm going to give you proof here of what of the games that are being played. Proof of Antifa. You know, they're just protesters and also... The hysteria from the left over all this stuff, too. Oh, my God. What's going to happen to us? You know, journalists who are... I mean, they're cry- They're literally crying over this. I, I, what? Crying. I mean, I don't come here. I, I could show up, and I think it's the, it's the easy way out on radio, just outrage and yell and everything. But, I mean, really? You guys are going to cry over this thing? Cry over what? You don't like what Trump said? You're going to cry on TV? People are crying now? Oh. 
What am I missing? Or what am I getting right? I'm open to it. Let me know. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. I don't know if I should just, like, laugh. So, I, don't, I mean, I have, like, too much eye makeup on to start crying right now. It's disgusting. We were sad. We were crying. And we couldn't quite define why. And part of it was because the election brought into question our optimism about the country. I'm, I'm sorry that this is where we are right now. And I hope the president learns a lesson from his press conference on yesterday. It's disturbing. Gianna, these are very sensitive and they were, you know, people were crying, people were texting us, friends were texting us. So it wasn't just Democrats who were hearing this. There are people of color right now who are crying. There are Jewish people right now who are afraid because this cuts deep when the president won't unequivocally stand with you for more than 12 hours. I'm thinking about my godmother, Dottie Zollner, who's Jewish. I think about what she's gone through in her life, sticking up for civil rights. Uh, the stories that she's told me about her family and the things that her family suffered in Europe and the fact that she can't count on the president of the United States to stand with her when a Nazi ran over an American citizen, killed an American citizen with ISIS tactics in our country. And my godmother can't come on the television and see the president of the United States show any sympathy for her. President Trump has said everything short of throw that guy driving the car into the uh, electric chair. I mean, what what else is there supposed to be said? I, I'm I understand that Trump has said a couple of that there have been uh, two sentences of the three different appearances he's he's given here that have really set people off. Uh, and the first one was just accurate, which is that there was violence on both sides because there was. So and it took people a day or two to catch up with that. But there was violence on both sides. That's just that's just true. We we can sit here and talk about how, well, there was worse violence on one side than the other. I should also note that I'm I'm wondering I'm just putting it out there. I'm wondering if we will find out more details about just how violent things were on the streets there. Um, So. We're going to. We're, I mean, every line is lit, and we'll get into a lot of calls here in a, in a few moments. But just this is uh, this is very uh, flammable stuff that a lot of a lot of folks on TV and a lot of politicians are playing with right now, and doing so in a disingenuous and I think very irresponsible fashion to suggest that the president of the United States is making common cause with Nazis and to simultaneously claim that a group that says it's it it opposes fascism pretty much has a point even though its version of fascism is limited government constitutional conservatism that's what it thinks fascism is and free speech and liberty they're creating a very dangerous environment and while we can isolate and ignore idiotic white supremacist losers i don't think we can ignore the media and its fondness for antifa and protests and riots across the country in no way can we accept or apologize for uh, racism bigotry hatred violence and those kind of things that are uh, too often arise in our country oh no not clear not clear enough right no no that's not clear enough he, he said, in no way can we accept. Uh, he, he didn't say, you know, I condemn. He just said, in no way can we accept. So, you know, I, I you know, something wrong there. You know, Jeff said, oh, yeah, yeah, Jeff Sessions. I mean, 
This is this is what we're up against, everybody. How, how many times? How many ways? I will also point out to you that there were violent, radical leftist elements in Occupy Wall Street. I know because I saw them because I was there. There are violent, radical elements within Black Lives Matter. There are violent, radical elements within Antifa. Do you do you see a lot of Democrats spending much of their time, you know, oh, I, I disavow, I, I have no, you know, I have no. And now you say, well, but why is that? Well, it's because news is a narrative. Who constructs a narrative? The media. And not only is the media inflating the role, inflating the prominence of the alt-right, but the media is now lionizing the losers of Antifa. As, as though there's something to be proud of. The, the, I, I, I did not entirely see that one coming. That's a bit of a surprise. But why, why is it? This is an important question. Why is it never enough? The denunciation, the rejection of racism, the rejection of racism, it's never enough for Republicans. Why? Hold on to that for a moment. I got every every single line here in the Freedom Hut is lit. So let me take let me take some of your calls and then and then I will answer this question because it's, it, it's important. Chuck in Michigan on WTKG. What's going on, Chuck? Well, Buck, Antifa, I guess. Holy smokes. Who are these guys? I mean, you know, I, I don't understand why people are making such a big deal out of these petty little Nazi groups when Antifa has been all over this country, and when they show up, those guys are organized, they're militarized, they're trained. Uh, I happened to see a video of a group of, uh, I think were either Antifa or Black Lives Matter, confronting some poor woman. And when you watch them, I kept thinking, oh, they're going to hit her now. I mean, they're screaming at her. They're making movements like they're going to punch, but they don't. So obviously, you know, that's behavior that's trained. So these people are really weaponized. And that brings me back to Hitler and 1930s Germany, when the Nazis figured out or the Internet or the National Socialists figured out that the International Socialists wouldn't come free from Moscow. And they started to fight them. And the regular Germans wanted nothing but peace. They wanted it stopped. And the Nazis said, well, the government won't do anything, so we'll fix this for you. Or we can just keep going on the way it is. And that's exactly what's happening now, is you've got these groups fighting. Nobody's happy. The average American is PO'd. And we've got people lecturing us about being white supremacists. As I told your girl, that takes as much courage to denounce Nazis or white supremacists as it does to say the garbage stinks. It's gutless. Chuck, uh, I I have to say, you know, I, I think that the ignorance of history is a big part of the problem here because people seem to think that this is, a, well, especially when they talk about Nazism in general, they think it's a left versus right issue. And they don't they don't understand that, historically speaking, Nazis and communists, communists being considered the, the, the on the far left of the spectrum, right? That Nazis and communists in the World War II era and World War II context, uh, leading up to World War II as well, were, were fighting over the same recruits on the street. And we're having street battles over who was going to be rep- representative of collectivist, statist, uh, political movements. 
Was it going to be the communists or was it going to be the Nazis? But they were fighting over the same recruits. They were near cousins who were squabbling over turf. They were not oppositional ideological forces that had completely different views of the role of the state. You had hyper-militarism. You had hyper-statism. You had uh, uh, the political justification for violence against civilians and innocents. Communism, Nazism, both do this. National socialism. I mean, we could, you know, this is a whole... Uh, if, if you haven't already, by the way, I'm gonna, I'll do a free commercial for him. Read Jonah Goldberg's Liberal Fascism, everybody. Read Liberal Fascism. It's yeah, and it's, they should. Yeah, and Dinesh D'Souza's new book. Well, you know, Buck, what a lot of people don't understand is really, if you look at the Nazis and fascists, they're the liberal wing of the Socialist Party. They did allow for private property as long as your factory served the state, you could own it. You know, the Bolsheviks would have never gone for that. So they're, they're the conservative end. The Nazis, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, you know, and the fascists both were quite liberal as far as the socialist world goes, but they're still total statists. Yeah, they are. They are all. They are all statists. I mean, Chuck, thank you for the, thank you for the call, man. Shield tie from uh, from up in Michigan. Uh, this uh, so much of this is all dependent on a, on a complete ignorance of history, and we are we are not taught the realities of uh, the American left's fondness and common cause with communism in in this country here that lasted for many decades. We, we are not, no, that is not discussed. Nobody ever gets assigned Whitaker Chambers witness in school, right? Nobody. One of the most important English language books written in the 20th century. Now, no one ever gets that book assigned. Hopefully they assign 1984, but they assign 1984 as the and then they have leftist teachers who will say, oh, well, you know, this is like like George W. Bush. He's though he's big brother. No. I mean, a little too much spending for my taste with that government, but the Republicans are, are, are not actually the party of controlling your every thought, word and deed that that's the Democrats in this country. Rudy in Ohio. W.H.L.O. What's up, Rudy? Hey, Buck, how you doing? I'm all right. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, okay. Uh, I was born in Virginia back in 55, lived in Ohio since 60, Went, you know, grew up here. And uh, I've been to Gettysburg twice, been to Antietam twice. I've always been a history buff. You know, now they want to tear down all the monuments that have anything to do with the Confederate or Robert E. Lee. But, they're, you know, like I say, I got a little town 10 miles from me. The center of their square, they got a big uh, marble pedestal with a Union soldier on top. You know, and that's their pride and glory because they've sent so many troops into the Civil War. But, you know, if they're going to do away with all the other monuments, statues, anything to do with the Confederacy, then these symbols of the North have no reason to be. They need to be torn down, too. And, uh... Wait, why? why well, I mean, hold, hold on a second, Rudy. Why would the... I'm just trying to follow your premise here. Why would the statues of the Union need to be torn down? Because they would to fight if they tear down all the Southern statues. Wait, why? If you want to get rid of all, to rid of all the traces of the Civil War, 
you have to get rid of the union. Well, I don't think any. I don't think even. I don't think even the left is arguing you need to get rid of the union statues. That that's that I have not heard. It's never it's never been brought up, has it? Well, no, but I mean that's you know the, the side that was fighting to to defeat slavery is not even the left. Even the left is is okay with that today. They're they're like, yeah, the union, go the union. I mean, even Democrats are. No, I know, and I know the Democrat Party turned into the party of Jim Crow and segregation, and it was the party of slavery. And I, I trust me, I, I get all that history too. But I'm just saying today, you're not going to get anybody who I think is is trying to pull down. If you live down deep south. And somebody come down here and called your great great grandfather a, a terrorist, uh, you know, a bigot, a rapist, whatever. Wouldn't you be offended? I mean, that'd be like me coming up, uh, going up to New York City, calling out Al Sharpton for being a liar and a tax cheat and a, and a bigot and a racist. You know, you, these people want to go down south and tear down their history. No, I'm I'm, I'm not. Thing. Look, I'm I'm not in favor of I, I'm not in favor of tearing down and and erasing history at all. I, I think that in some cases there's a there's a legitimate discussion to be had about whether in a current government structure, current government building, you should be flying. You know, people defacing the the Lincoln Memorial last night. No, it's crazy. Look, the, 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 you, you got you got kids that are running around at Princeton that want, and I have to say, at least they're consistent. But Woodrow Wilson was a was a racist and a segregationist and a bad guy. And right. the, now now you know the Woodrow Wilson School of International Affairs is very fancy. Uh, they might want to rename that. As I said, you had Taney, the Supreme Court justice, who was uh, the uh, lead author on the uh, on the Dred Scott decision. You know, they want to pull that down, and you know, I, this is I don't know where it stops trump's comments yesterday and i was saying this that oh and by the way even people even people in the north i mean i think maybe this is a way we could take your and rudy thank you for calling in rudy's point about maybe we pull down uh union statues i'm sure if you go through some of the i and i don't want to some right now some of my civil war historians listening are like watch watch what you say because i know people have their favorites but i'm sure if you went through the diary of any number of northern generals they said stuff about, I mean, during the Civil War, I'm, I'm sure they said stuff that would could still be considered quite racist. Like, you know, so maybe maybe some of those statues, there will be an argument for them to come down, right? Uh, I think that you could see that happening. So if you're going to judge this by, and then uh, people have been pointing out, you've got statues of, of Senator Byrd, who was a 20th century senator, who was uh, absolutely, well, is elevated by democrats and was a member was an actual member of the kkk um but there you go yeah it's just yeah it's allowed to you look at the two uh, probably the two most prominent democrat senators of the well at least of the late 20th century uh you know teddy kennedy and robert Byrd. uh one of them is a kkk member and the other one lets his mistress drown uh while he's you know driving around a fancy vacation island while he's drunk um you know that that's who democrats really celebrate and bill clinton so there you go all right um i see still lines lines led everywhere i want to take more calls i want to tell you about, I, I am going to answer my question why is it never why is it never enough for conservatives uh we might not get to that in the next hour also you got trump and some ceos departing from his uh executive council whatever they were calling that i'll give you my thoughts on that plus um what i saw from the radicals who were part of the Occupy movement. I might get into some of that, some some of my firsthand perspective. It was, uh, well, 
I think we'll get there if we have time. I, I always have more to say to you than I have time for in every show, and today's one of those days. President Trump showed us who he is yesterday. For anybody who is in doubt, he is in bed with and in support of white nationalists. By not disavowing them, you are supporting them. There you go. Former Obama administration official there saying just straight up, Trump's a white nationalist. Trump is in, as a Nazi. People are saying this on TV and people are just going, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, I'm glad someone's speaking. That. What? Oh, God. It's amazing. I, I'd, I'd so much rather be sitting here and having a discussion about how, you know, we're, we're really close to a free market health care plan. But 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 alas, now let, let's just let's just relitigate the latest round of 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 racial tensions over and over and over again. That's that's this is the country we live in, folks. This is where we are. Uh, Richard in West Virginia, WWVA. Hey, what's up, Richard? Uh, you were right about Robert C. Byrd. He, he made excuses for that and he apologized that he wasn't racist. I never really heard the whole story, but I mean, because that's where I'm from, and he was a senator from West Virginia, he apologized for it and said he did the wrong thing by by being a racist, uh, being involved in the KKK, but uh, I don't know. You hear it, so I guess you have to accept the apology. I just wanted to make one comment about it, but I wanted to ask you this one other thing, because I heard you say this earlier, and I should know what it means, but I don't, because I've listened to shows like this for a long time. What does left, you just mentioned things like left to center and right to center. What does that mean? It's a good question. Uh, I think it's a definition that is malleable. Depends on who's doing the defining. Because what's, I mean, what's the center in this country now? I don't know. What is a centrist in American politics? I guess a, a centrist is an establishmentarian. So a centrist believes in a lot of government spending in continued and endless government lawmaking and regulation that micromanages every aspect of our lives. And, and I don't I think and caves on every social issue. And I mean, I don't know. What is a centrist now? That's a good question. I don't know. Centrist. I don't know. I just I just heard that term left to center and right to center. Yeah, well, here I, I can be a little more helpful than just spewing back a question at you. And I, and I meant that. Uh, Richard, in, in good faith, I'm just saying I think that it's a it, it's more of a the answer to your question is a discussion, not an answer. You know what I mean? But uh, the the best I can do in shorthand is when I say left of center, it's just to include. Yeah, there are. Look, I've got friends who are Democrats. Right. I mean, I, I most of my friends are Democrats. In fact, most of the people I know here in New York City are Democrats and they're not Antifa. You know, there are Bernie Sanders style Democrat socialists. There are. You know, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton establishment progressives. There are Antifa left wing wackos. Right. And right of center is, you know, there are libertarians, conservatarians, uh, conservatives, uh, you know, and just go down the whole list. So, you know, you, you it's really a way of just saying the whole family of um, conservative ideology and the whole family of liberal ideology or I don't like the term liberal. I prefer left and right. But. Even left and right, and people play games with it, and what's left and right in the European context and historically is different than what it is in the American context. But now, now I'm I'm going into rabbit holes. It's I'm getting too deep into the matrix. Getting too deep for me, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, Richard, I I hear you, man. Look, I appreciate the question and the call, my friend. Shields high, and thank you very much, very much for listening. But I also, Richard, originally wanted to say that they're a bunch of losers. 
Did you want to? Did uh? Do you got something on that, Richard? Well, yeah, because I heard uh, there's somebody that does a morning show here on WWVA, and that's what he thinks of these people. And I just want to know what you thought. He just thinks they're not. Well, you use the word white supremacist, and he just says that's basically what they are. They're just uh, white supremacist losers who want to get involved in a cause because they have nothing any more worthwhile in their life, so they yes. just like to get involved in stuff like this. Yes, I think that I think that is largely accurate, and I'll, I'll give you a slightly more in-depth uh, answer as to why. And Richard, now Shields High, thank you for the call. Uh, so. People who are attracted to an extremist political ideology, especially in the American context, to any extremism, uh, want two things. Um, They want uh, excuses and purpose. Excuses for why they are frustrated, why they are not more successful, why they are not more uh, popular, why they do not feel more accepted. And so this is not just for white nationalists, but for any, any truly extremist fringe political ideology in this country um they want it they want it and this uh, this uh, by the way applies to those who are extremists in the identity politics school as well um but they want answers to why they're frustrated and the extremism provides that in a a straightforward right in your face way even if it's fake or false at least it's there and also gives them purpose. Not only do we give you an answer to why you're unhappy, not only do we explain to you with our extremism why you have these problems, but if you just do this, this thing we're telling you to do, it'll address them. It'll make the problems better. In fact, you can win. You don't have to be a loser anymore. Thank you so much for uh, staying with me through the break, or thank you for joining. So I have promised in the uh, previous hour that I would I would answer the question, why is it never enough? Uh, why is it that for conservatives, for Republicans, however one chooses to denounce racism, however one goes about it, not enough. At best, you'll be asked to repeat it, most likely many times over. And just being forced through that act of repetition creates a suspicion that there must be some reason that you're answering this question, right? They're casting aspersions through questioning. This is what they do. This is how the media plays the game. It's how the Democrats play the game. Central weapon of identity politics is the ability to isolate and call people racists. One of the most powerful tools in the Democrat media industrial complex's arsenal. Calling people racists. And you've seen the power of it over the last few days as a result of the uh, well, in the aftermath of what happened in in Charlottesville. So I, I think it is, in a sense, that if you want to, I, I can't say it's even really the, the silver lining of this, but at least it's a conclusion you should draw from this that nobody wants to be called a racist. It's very damaging. It's a very potent allegation, very potent accusation, even if it's false, creates real problems for the person who is on the wrong end of that uh, accusation. And you have uh, Americans at this point, I think, largely overlooking because of the hysteria right now over Trump and his misstatements or his poor statements or handling of this. People are overlooking that racism is probably the most universally denounced moral failing in our society that is not that is not on its face illegal 
I, so other than, yeah, everyone's against murder, everyone's against rape, everyone. Okay. And racism is not necessarily illegal, but everyone's against racism too, with some exceptions. There are also, by the way, some murderers. There are cartel hitmen. There are, you know, there are gang members. I mean, there are people that, you know, aren't necessarily anti-murder, right? So there are racists too, but I'm just saying for any part of, uh, for any part of life that is not explicitly illegal, the denunciation of racism is probably the, among the most widespread of, any, of anything that's a moral failing, right? Because racism is a, as I've said, a moral intellectual failing. Um, but currently, and, and to be a racist is to be at the very bottom of our social ladder. It, it puts you in proximity. I mean, I tweeted this out last night. I mean, it puts you in proximity on the the consideration of where a person falls in society to be a racist is to be just maybe a, a rung or two above being a, a child molester or a necrophiliac. Uh, so being a racist is a very hated and and uh, very low place to be in our society. And in general, this is a good thing. Uh, but there are also ways in which this incredibly potent accusation is abused the accusation of racism or the fear of being called racist Uh, and it turns into a fear of insufficiently denouncing racism or racists and this is an explicitly political weapon that's what we see happening right now that it is a way to silence the opposition on any issue by just saying, well, you you better spend all of your time denouncing racism because of what's in the news cycle right now, or else we're going to start to suggest that you, you must have some problem. You, you must not mind racism all that much. And I think it is true that one of the great frustrations of the Democrat Party has been that all of the claims of Trump, Trump's racism and the racism of his supporters has not stopped him, didn't stop him from winning and hasn't stopped him from being president yet. Usually, in another context, in another situation, a united media declaring that someone's a racist would be the end of them. Not just the end of their political ambitions, by the way, it would be the end of them in public life. It would be the end of their reputation, the end of their friendships, maybe even result in ostracism from one's family. And I think a lot of Trump supporters are sick of the media slandering people as racist. And so they don't even really care at this point what Trump says, because they just view him as the only one who thus far has been able to deal with this and come out the other side. Right. He's he has gone through this gauntlet of media saying that he's a racist and lived to tell the tale. So that's part of why there's such a a unwavering support for Trump on these issues, regardless of what he says. And I've said to you, I wish he had said some things differently, wish he hadn't said a couple of things he said. But I also think some of what he has said about Charlottesville is not just true, but important for people to hear. Um, But for most conservatives in media, and this is what I really wanted to get into for a few moments here, this is an issue of career survival and the hint of being insufficiently hateful towards hate is is a career risk that has real consequences. And so this is why you have 
uh, honorable, otherwise brilliant and honorable conservatives who feel the need to uh, denounce racism in hyperbolic fashion. Uh, It's not just enough to hate racism. They have to hate racism more than they've hated anything in the history of hate. And and hate is bad except for hate of racism. And can I just tell you how much racism is bad? And there's a there's a desperation in the tone, a desperation to avoid any hint, any any whiff of maybe maybe you think that the alt-right has a few good points. Maybe, maybe you're kind of supportive of the alt-right. Maybe you don't think the alt-right is the worst thing in this country. Maybe we should have some people ask you some questions about what do you think of the alt-right? Do you support the alt-right? Oh, do you have any friends who are alt-right? Have you ever written anything that seemed to suggest the alt-right? It, it, by the way, how many of those questions have to be asked in public or or thrown about on, on social media with someone's name attached to them before all of a sudden... The person is considered to be in some way part of the alt-right. This is all they have to do. So anti-racism on the left is often an issue of virtue signaling. And this is how you get all these progressive, spoiled college kids who act like, you know, act like they are in, in civil rights marches facing down you know, racist police officers spraying them with hoses and and German shepherds snarling at them and everything when they're just showing up to right now with other people and they're all, you know, putting photos on Facebook of how awesome they are and everyone's just like, we're so awesome. And if anything, they're they're spitting at and degrading police who are just there to protect them and let them say what they want to say. The police aren't there to stop them. They're there to protect them. So they, they got this whole thing way backwards. There's nothing brave about what the left is doing right now when it comes to, uh, particularly Antifa when it comes to race. But on the right, there is a there is an impulse, and you are seeing it happen right now, and it's happening with some people that I uh, generally have a, a lot of respect for and like, but there is a anti-racist groveling. It's not enough to just say you're anti-racist. It's not enough to just say racism is bad. You have to just keep saying it over and over and over. You have to preface every statement. You have to just make sure that everyone knows at all times. Well, I'm not racist. I mean, I mean, I'm a Republican, but I, you know, I'm not racist. I'm not a racist. And this, and you can never be opposed enough. That's why it's never. This is why. To go back to the question I had, I had posed in the last hour, instead, this is why it's never enough. And the fear is understandable, um, because if you get caught up in this machinery of uh, racial accusation or even just racial insinuation, right? Ma- making the eh, making the little, you know, pushing towards uh, generally alluding to that, you know, someone may, may maybe you're just a little too fond of some alt-right people or maybe you've got some. That's all that it takes. That is all that it takes. And that can be a career stop. It can be a career ender. And this results in a difference, I think, uh, a difference in how many on the right respond to these events than they would otherwise. And you see this competition among conservatives right now, especially if you're active on social media, you'll see it, about who can be the most, you know, who can stand the tallest and just say the most uh, flowing and flowery rhetoric about the greatness of this country is, is its diversity and racism undermines the very fabric of our society. And I'm... Okay, yeah, I mean, some of that is all to the good, and I get it. And I agree with it. 
but it shouldn't be a competition about who's anti, who's the most anti-racist, right? I mean, you, you either reject racism or you don't. You either believe that skin color is irrelevant to a person's character worth or, or not. I mean, this is a pretty binary thing. But it's not treated that way because, as I was saying, if you don't denounce enough, that can be grounds for some uh, very troubling, some very troubling uh, public commentary on an individual, whether we're talking about members. This is why a lot of Republicans, but this applies to Congress, absolutely. This is why you're seeing, you know, oh, yeah, no, John McCain and Lindsey Graham. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, ra- racism is the worst thing. In the- yeah, we know. Remember how I started out, I guess, the show to the yesterday, the day before? You don't even tell you racism is bad. We all know racism is bad. Would I start, would I start out a show saying that, you know, uh, 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 abusing the disabled is bad or, you know, murder is bad. Uh, you know, uh, sexual assault is bad. Let's just start with the first. No, I mean, racism is bad. You know that. I know that. Well, but you see what I'm saying. There's a, 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 a forced competition of who can be the most vocal and vociferous on I hate racism because... This is a way to keep us busy, keep us on defense, and just forcing us to say it a lot causes its own problems, right? See, see that that's part of the cycle is you got to keep saying it and saying it, or else they're going to suggest maybe something. But once you've said it enough times, it's wait a second, why is this guy always talking about how he's not racist? Notice how Republicans are always saying that you know, I mean, you know, I, I have I have black friends, or you know, I have Hispanic friends, and I, I'm not racist, right? That then becomes. The the proof uh, of some problem in and of itself. Uh, as I was saying, I mean, you can claim to oppose genocide, tyranny, any number of, of great evils. Say you oppose slavery. That's not sufficient. You, you uh, Sorry. Say you oppose um, racism. That's not sufficient. Right. You have to say a lot more than just I oppose it or it's bad. You, you have to go into a lot more. Um, and that's... Uh, that's where this all is now. So you see a lot. Look, a lot of conservatives are running scared because they don't. They don't want to be called racist. They don't want to be called racist. <laughs> it's you know, no matter where you are on the on the on the right, if you're somebody who actually has a reputation to protect, so not the alt right, but if you actually have a reputation that anybody would want, that is worth anything, that has any honor, that has any merit, you don't want to be called a racist. So you can imagine what that does to this discussion and the left loves it that's how they get that's how the left gets to own the narrative own the discussion force conservatives on defense and at some level i think that's what trump was reacting to perhaps overreacting or reacting poorly to but he's sick of he's sick of the game too he's sick of the game too although i wish he'd be a little more adept sometimes in how he handled it okay Every line here is lit. I will take calls after the break, and then we will move on to another topic. Probably going to get into the CEOs abandoning Trump and what that means. Uh, and there's and there's more. And Google and shutting down websites. And five hours a show, but only, you know, a bit more of your time. So I'll get through as much of it as I can. The good news is we get to hang out tomorrow and the next day. And, like, every Monday through Friday, add in for after that. Woohoo! Carl in Virginia, WMAL. What's up, sir? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Buck. Um, it's a quick point is my experience i mean uh i'm 55 and i grew up in the 60s and 70s and i was always raised on uh your performance and merit you know your actions as opposed to color i was uh basically raised colorblind and 
my experience has always been that people who call you racist, typically they're the racist, and they, no matter what you do, they'll, you try to be nice to them, they still, they'll ignore you, or if you just try not to incur their ire, then they come up with some idea that, you know, some Thing to, uh, oh, well, you know, you know, Carl, one of the problems with the uh, leftist ideology on race and racism is that they use these terms like uh, they, they use terms like systemic racism, right, or subconscious racism. And what that allows the left and Democrats and all the different identity politics groups and protected groups and victimology uh, advocates on the left, what allows them to do is say, okay, maybe you're not a racist. You know, maybe you don't wear, you know, white sheets to Klan meetings, but you are benefiting from a society that is inherently and overwhelmingly racist. Therefore, you are a part of the problem unless you are willing to adopt all of our ideological positions, our demands, really, and work alongside us and and adopt these identity politics and talk about your white privilege and act like you have penance to do for your white privilege, then maybe you can start to work off some of the, the debt that you have to society from being part of a racist system. And, and, and Carl, you're sitting there probably, or, you know, the individual I'm making up here in this in this case is like, well, I mean, I didn't do anything. Doesn't matter if you did anything. You, you see how you see how tricky that is, how sneaky that is. Oh, no, I totally understand. And and uh, further, in my experience, most of those people, they're some of the laziest. They're looking for free handouts. They don't want to do the work. They don't want to take the time to learn and improve themselves. They want to be handed stuff. And, you know, I've lived in the South, and my dad was military, and we moved around, and I've seen uh, I've seen what it's like back in the 60s and the, in the 70s, and even in the 80s I was back down there. And, um, and But I know plenty of people who, uh, of all races, who are the nicest people and, you know, they go to work every day, they do their job, and that's the people I work with, but then you get the other... Well, look, let me just say, Carl, you get a lot of leftists, you get a lot of liberals who, and, and they're, you know, you get, you, you get a lot of, I'm just going to say it, you get a lot of, like, white liberals on MSNBC who send their kids to almost entirely white schools, who live in entirely white neighborhoods, and all they want right. to do is lecture everybody else on multiculturalism and the, the multi-ethnic yeah. mosaic and, and how everyone else is racist. And, and you're like, uh, hold on a second. You know, w- what is this all about? Because it's it's a, a massive opportunity for virtue signaling, which is just a fancy sociologist way of saying, look at me, look at me. I'm such a good person. Right. That's all virtue yeah, signaling right. is. And that's a lot of people like to throw out accusations of racism because it's I'm a better person than you because I hate racism so much. Uh, but, Carl, thanks for calling in, man. I appreciate it. We will take a call from Patty in Mississippi, WBV. Hey, Patty. Hey, Buck. Hey, um, I'm talking about the the comments from uh, Mitt Romney and especially Marco Rubio, basically siding with the left, you know, trying to say that you can't equate uh, Antifa and the, the white nationalists. But if you look, whether it's Durham, Charlottesville, you have – Everywhere that you can't avoid seeing the professionally made signage with all the little slogans on it with the tagline on the bottom of the workers.org, which is the Workers World Party. So they're obviously asking people to go and go to their website. And those are the people that are basically organizing all of this. And aside, in addition 
to basically defending North Korea and Kim Jong Un. There's a big sign on there, the front page of their website, to hands off Venezuela, you know, because they're supporting Maduro and all that he's doing. Did we not just have a big story this past week of Marco Rubio basically being targeted for assassination by some military guy in in Venezuela? It was a possible. It was a possible threat. Yeah, uh, Patty, we got to run into a break, but thank you for the call, team. Uh, every line is lit. We'll take some more right after. So stay with me. We've got a lot more. There you go. There, there's some leftist Antifa protesters for you out in Seattle just last few days. Cops and Klan, hand in hand. Oh, yeah. They're, they're just like the brave soldiers storming the beaches of Normandy, those leftist protesters. The cops are just standing there to protect them. These protesters, so many a bunch of dummies. And, you know, really, the term protester is, is much abused. A lot of times they're just... Uh, they're instigators and they're rioters. At least a portion of them are. And you also have to wonder at what level, and, and now I'm, I'm kind of going into a counterinsurgency phase of the analysis here, but, you know, there there is the uh, the active fighter in, a, in an insurgency, and there is the civilian population that harbors, assists, and hides, and they are symbiotic and they work together. And in the protest movement, you have to wonder sometimes. It's yeah, sure if one or two, uh, one or two, uh, you know, idiots throw a rock at a cop on their own. Okay, well, maybe they, maybe the hundred other protesters knew nothing, you know, had nothing, no part of it, and they're not responsible. But if you get three hundred protesters and fifty of them are squaring up against the police, getting up in their face, screaming, spitting. Uh, throwing, you know, water or fluids or whatever at them, and then throwing rocks at them. Are the other protesters? I mean, how do they feel about being... It, it, isn't it interesting that the line on the neo-Nazis uh, at the in Charlottesville is that anybody who was part of this Unite the Right march it was a Nazi, basically. That, that's what we're told. And maybe that's true. I, I think it is true from what I've seen. I, I haven't seen any... I, look, I can tell you this. Think about this this way. Would any of you? Would any of you be like, yeah, I'm gonna get these guys with the swastikas. I'm gonna go take a walk with them. I mean, unless you're a journalist and you got like press credentials around your neck and you're covering them, that'd be a very bad idea. Uh, but on the other hand, you'll notice that Antifa. Uh, you, you know, you can hang out with Antifa, and that doesn't make. And they can attack cops, and they can hit people, and and engage in violence. And and the other protesters are. That's fine. This happens time and time again across the country. I'm just saying, what are the standards? Can we have clear standards? Can can we have defined lines here? Are you tainted in a protest movement by the actions of the worst people that are part of your protest or not? I, I just would like, a, like an official ruling on this. Because as we know, and, and I'm okay with it, if this, if, I mean, and I understand it. I wouldn't I wouldn't march with people no matter, you know, no matter what time of day it was or what's going on. I wouldn't be like, yeah, the guys with the with the swastas. I'm going to go for a stroll and see what they're up to. OK, fine. So you can you can cast burdens on the group based upon what some members of the group stand for. I've been I've been walking alongside, not part of, but I have covered uh, Black Lives Matter protests where people are yelling about uh 
racist murdering cops and racist pig cops and it, so does does everyone there are, are they okay with talking about racist murderer cops because there are chants about it so i'm just i just want to know is that everybody's okay with it or just a few people are okay with it i'd like some i'd just like some guidelines some rules i'd, I'd like to know how we are to judge these things but yeah cops and clan that's what you get from the leftist protesters. But you've got other people out there who are saying that, you know, it's not really a, not really a big deal. Don Lemon over at CNN said the following. To equate a group that is a protest group, two protest groups, uh, yes, they're both protest groups. And they're talking about Antifa or Antifa, however you want to pronounce it, calling them the alt-left. Well, that group protests fascism. So they were there protesting fascism. Maybe their tactics weren't exactly right. All groups uh, like that, political groups, rights groups, protest groups, it's messy. But there is a difference between the two groups. One is a Nazi white supremacist group. What they want to do and in their hearts is extinguish people who look like me and who look like you, Wolf. Jewish people, black people, even women. They don't think that we're equal to them. The other is a protest group protesting a political and a racist movement. They think that they can, the other, talking about the other group, uh, thinks that they can attack people, threaten people, uh, ruin lives, ruin careers for ideas that they don't like. And to say that they just oppose fascism is a lie. They don't just oppose fascism. They oppose anyone who has any questions about this is Antifa now. Anyone who has any questions about, you know, the transgender rights movement. Anyone who has any questions about identity politics in this country, affirmative action. I mean, just go down the line. Anyone who wants to talk about evolutionary psychology anyone from i don't know google who wants to write a memo about maybe why women make different choices when it comes to engineering and silicon valley none of that's allowed you should also just keep an eye out for this and i know some you don't live in the social media matrix like i do because i have to because it's my job but there are already calls for not just pulling down of monuments but also People writing about how they think that some of the classic movies that we all celebrate are, uh, here's one, uh, now that we're talking, quote, there are casually racist, casually sexist, uh, and casually homophobic moments in classic movies that don't need to be classics anymore. So yeah, now, now everything is up for debate and discussion in terms of what's no longer acceptable. They want to draw boundaries around things. They want to decide that you know, a, a movie that was made 30 years ago is now forbidden. When do we draw a line here? When is it just, you know, you guys are virtual book burners? Just want to know. When, when does that happen? And isn't it fascinating that the people in Antifa, all dressed in black, with clubs, with mace, uh, covering their faces, destroying property, threatening people, attacking people making determinations about what is and is not able to be said, and now coming right up to the precipice of saying that certain books should be banned, and I guess burned, they think they oppose fascism. They don't understand that they are fascism. Mark in Florida, WFLF, what's going on? Hey, Buck, Mark, thanks for taking my call. 
I, I can't even stand to listen to the news today. I'm just it's I'm just so over it. But I just want to make a quick point, as if I can articulately. Last week we were talking about we are on the verge of nuclear war with North Korea, and uh, Trump won that poke around. And interestingly enough, we're not talking about that right now. Having said that, as you signed off on Friday, we all wished each other have a great weekend. Well. That didn't work out too well, did it? But the reason I called is is I've had one personal experience with Donald Trump. And with all the bad press that's going around, I just want to articulate my one experience as a low-life, blue-worker person with Donald Trump, if I may, sir. By all means, sir. The floor is yours. In the early 90s, between 91 and 94, anybody can look this up if they want to. I was a Coast Guard helicopter rescue swimmer stationed in Cape May, New Jersey. Cape May, New Jersey is approximately 80 miles south of Atlantic City, not very far, an hour, an hour and 20 minutes by car drive as a crow flies down a New Jersey turnpike there. Anywho, one morning at 3 o'clock in the morning, I get a we get a call of a fishing vessel that had sank 80 miles off the coast of, of Cape May. And at that time, that uh, four or six perps, as today too, uh, were registered to the to the to the vessel. You know, so we know what type of vessel it was, and it was a fishing vessel, the Lady Anna. Well, we get out there. Um, we're going to need to uh, accelerate this a little bit, Mark. Keep going. Okay. Anyway, rescue these people. Thought they were clam people, clam out of the out of the clam um, fisheries industry out of Cape May. Get them back to get them back to Cape May at dawn, six thirty in the morning. I didn't know who these people were. I pulled five people out of the raft in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Don't know who any of these people are. When we get back to Cape May Air Station, there was a limousine waiting at the air station to take these people not to Atlantic City, but to the Cape May Regional Airport, where there was a private jet waiting to take these people wherever they wanted to go. These the car and the plane were provided by Donald Trump. How he knew this was going on, I don't know. The people that we rescued was uh, a developer called Hovnavian. I don't know if anybody knows whom this is, and another person of his and his crew. And that's my only interaction with Donald Trump. When we landed at, at sunrise at 6.30, Donald Trump had a personal car and a private jet to take these people wherever they wanted to go. And that is my only interaction with Donald Trump. And okay. I'll never forget that. That's the type of guy he is, and I'll never forget that. All right, Mark in Florida, thank you. Team, uh, break here, and we'll come back with some more calls, and then we'll get into some guests and some other topics, including how at Yale they actually cover up a, Purit- a, a, a sculpture, a stone sculpture of a Puritan with a little, with a, a little like, flintlock, you know, firearm of some kind. I don't even know. I guess it's a blunderbuss, maybe. Some of you are like, Buck, don't get the firearm wrong. I don't know what it is. I can see it because they covered it up. Hey, Team Buck, don't forget to follow me on social media, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, and also Buck Sexton on Twitter. I went on a bit of a tweet storm last night. I actually provided some of my thoughts for one of the monologues today. Uh, sometimes it just comes to me in the middle of the night. Um, but uh, please do, uh, if you're active on those platforms, give me a follow. I'm also on Instagram, but I don't know how many of you are on Instagram. Buck Sexton on Instagram. Uh, let's see who we got here. Uh, Odessa in Al- in Alabama? Is that... Okay. Okay, what's up? 
Hey, Book. Just want to call and say I love your show. Thank you so much. Great name, by the way. Well, thank you very much. And I thank you for what you're doing. And I want to be a voice that I think many voices need to be heard who love Donald Trump. I'm one of those. And I thank God that he was elected. I love his platform. And I wish the people who are trying to oppose him would back off and let him be successful and save our country and our Constitution. Thank you for what you do to do the same thing. Thank you so much, Odessa. really appreciate the call and Shields High. Thank you very much. Uh, John in Alaska, uh, K-E-N-I. What's up, John? Hey, hey Buck. You know, nobody's noticed this. They had the KKK in Charlottesville. That's the militarized arm of the Democratic Party, started by the Democratic Party, just like the SS was the military arm of the Nazis. And they were protesting taking down a statue of a Democrat. He was, uh, I don't know if he was head of Cobb County, I can't remember Robert E. Lee, but he had a Democratic post, and uh, it was put up by the Democratic Party. So this is all a Democratic Party thing. The only people that weren't there were Republicans. And an interesting part about this is, as a person who's of mixed race and also part Jewish, I am appalled by the name Democrat. Let us throw, if we're going to throw these statues out of Democrats, let's throw out the name Democrat. Change your party to the George Soros party or the Zonder Commando party. That's what George Soros' uh, father was, supposedly, as it says on Wikipedia, that he was the one who chose do these Jews go to the showers or do these Jews go to the factory? And an interesting thing, they were Esperanto. Are you familiar with Esperanto? Isn't that the international uh, language? It's a arm of the Communist Party and uh, has an interesting history on it. And they're all the atheist. So there's an interesting history here, but what we got here is the Democratic Party. Wait, what, es- Esperanto is, is a constructed language that was supposed to be a universal yeah, language. Yeah. So. Universe, it's supposed to have words. Yeah, okay. So I'm just, you, you asked me a question. I, gave, I mean, you made, it, made me feel like, I, I, you know, that's what Esperanto is. All right, go ahead. Yeah, well, most people don't know what Esperanto is. Well, I mean, you're talking about sex, and I know what Esperanto is. Come on. Well, yeah. But hey, you, you, weren't real, you weren't real keen on Faraday Cage. I was shocked. Uh, I almost said an S word. Uh, less. I would know what a Faraday cage is. Oh, sorry. I mean, you know, I'm, nobody's nobody's perfect. <laughs> what can no, I tell nobody's you? Nobody's perfect, but you're near perfect. Oh, hey, I like that. <laughs> this, this is a great call. This guy knew the story about the Koreans are actually were the old Japanese. That's where they the area in North Korea where they actually went into Japan, and the Wa took over the Ainu. Yeah, and you're you're up in Alaska. I'm one of the few people you'll talk to who actually knows that the Japanese did seize U.S. territory during Absolutely. World War II, Atu Island, part of the Aleutian chain. What's up? Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. It was nasty, too. At the end, they just decided to kill as many people as they could, even though they couldn't win. They actually made a bayonet charge for the field hospital with injured U.S. servicemen trying to kill them in their, kill the wounded in the yep. field hospital. That was their last stand to go after the field you hospital. You know your history. You do know your history. Why, thank you, sir. I, you know, I do what I can. All right. But don't you agree? We've got to change the name of the Democratic Party. It's well, I mean, it would be nice, but I don't, I don't think they're going to sign on to that. So in North Carolina, you had Democrats crawling on a Democratic statue and pulling it down. Well, it is. It is amazing. You know, the, there are two incredible things that the Democrats have pulled off. One is 
having a a just a soaked through legacy of racism with their party and then you know post post once the civil rights act once laws change now democrats are all about you know all about minorities and all about okay so that's one thing and the other thing is also erasing from the memory banks of the general population the uh fondness that democrats in the 20th century had for socialism for fascism for communism the ideological connective tissue between democrats and not just socialists but also communists and the i look you get people here you know i didn't get to get into this today john but I'm, i'm glad you're making me think about this i was going to spend some time on this someone explained to me why it is uh we have this reaction to a, a anyone more anyone has a swastika and they're they're beyond the pale unacceptable condemned horrible and and okay I'm okay with that I agree but you get that reaction to a swastika a hammer and sickle and images of stalin however which are also appearing at these leftist protesters and that's just fine uh why is that just fine he was executing people he was a, he was a, he was a racist he's marching people off into camps i mean you got to be kidding me the communists killed many times more people than the Nazis ever dreamed of. Yeah, it's I know it's uh, whew, some somehow that's all that's all lost. You know, and this is communi- this is the thing that bugs me. There is no Nazism. There is no Nazi country. There are no Nazis. Uh, honestly, there are no Nazis. There's kooks. That's all you can call them is kooks. Yeah, I mean they're they're white they're white supremacists. I mean that's I or, or you know I guess you can call they're them kooks. They're kooks. Yeah, no, they're they're losers. It is what it is. But John, thank you, thank you very much for the call from up from up in Alaska. Um, yeah, I mean you know Stalin killed millions of people, but hold up the flag of and it wasn't just Stalin, by the way. I mean Lenin, Stalin, Khrushchev. These are tyrants marching people off to freeze slowly to death in Siberia, executing. Enormous numbers of people torturing people, having people committed to psychiatric institutions until they executed them for opposing political policies. Uh, and but you know you can you can march around if you walk around with like a, a hammer and a sickle and a Soviet Union and everything, everyone's fine with that all of a sudden, and and not in a mocking way because I like to mock the Soviet Union as many of you know. No, no, in support of the Soviet Union. Oh. Okay, uh, I just I would like to know why we have that separation. Okay, we're we're gonna next hour. Uh, Matt Walsh joining Sean, uh, Sean Davis from the Federalist. Matt Walsh from Matt Walsh uh, and the Blaze, and also gonna talk to you about this Yale situation. So a lot. Uh all right, so we've got so much happening. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Buck Sexton here with you. A lot a lot going on. The debate is uh, is is spiraling uh, spiraling really I- into bizarre areas now i mean you've got people that are tweeting out how the antifa protesters are like the u.s troops invading normandy i mean it's just and and these are from the uh this that was from the editor-in-chief of of a major american journal of opinion it's just nonsense what's going on it's crazy to uh talk to us a bit about it and give some additional perspective we've got our friend sean davis here on the line co-founder of the federalist the very great site thefederalist.com he's got a piece up there what or actually there is a piece up there by i believe his colleague molly hemingway right what happens when police stand by during vandalism and violence? Sean, great to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, first off, I, I, I know I, I wish I could get you and Molly on at the same time. I just would ask that you please pass along to her that uh, she did a phenomenal job on special report, standing her ground on an issue where I've, I've never seen so many Republicans just 
running to outdo each other when it comes to trying to placate the left's talking points on this with giving no resistance whatsoever. They're basically ready to say Trump himself is a Nazi. Oh, well, I, I guess my only quibble there would be basically ready. Like, ha- haven't we already crossed the Rubicon on that one? Uh, it, it's, it's a fascinating, depressing sight to behold uh, to see the confirmation bias in, in action uh, on pretty much every side of the, the political debate today. I mean, what is happening? I mean, OK, Sean, let, let me do this. Let me ask you the, the question that is now used as the conversation ender or, or the, the debate winner. This is the the ace up the sleeve. People will say to you or they'll tweet at you or write to you, you know, were there good people on both sides? They're trying to get you to say that Nazis are good. Well, what's your response to that, Sean? When people say that to you and they and, and that's and that's all they want to say now. Yeah, I, I understand that uh, people are loving the when did you stop beating your wife question. Uh, they, they find that a very useful political cudgel. Uh, I guess the thing I'm more interested in is what do we do to stop this kind of violence going forward? Um, we, we see what they did in Charlottesville, which was absolutely nothing. Uh, according to the ACLU and a number of other people who were there on the ground, uh, the police were told not to arrest anyone. Uh, they were told to not engage. They let the groups get together. They let the violence uh, boil over. Um, it, it was an abomination on behalf uh, of the people of Charlottesville, uh, the way their government treated them there. Uh, you do not allow groups like that to get together and just decide that a city is their violent little playground. So I look at the whole thing, and I'm not really all that interested in throwing blame around. I mean, uh, a white supremacist ran a, a completely innocent woman over. Uh, that person should be strung up uh, and held to account for what they did. Uh, there's there's no equivocation on who is to blame for that. Uh, but we need to take a very long, hard look at the failures of leadership that led to every single thing that happened on Charlottesville actually happening. And, Sean, I'm seeing something that was, I suppose, predictable, but it's still unsettling. And that's uh, and this was one of the uh, premises that I advanced on the show to start it yesterday. I said, look, on the right, yeah, there are people who are there are there are some white nationalists. I think there are very few. It's a tiny percentage. But there are white nationalists and they consider themselves to be in some way politically on the right. They're right of center. OK, fine. They they're. Tactics are repudiated. You were just talking about the the murderer who killed a woman and injured a bunch of other people. But also the the ideas are repudiated. It's not just that on the right we oppose people uh, getting together, marching with uh, swastikas and hitting people with sticks and running people over with cars. I also oppose all the stuff that the Spencers and all the, and all of his ilk are saying vehemently on the left. What I see happening here is people were like, well, we're not Antifa. Antifa isn't for us. Antifa isn't representative. But also Antifa is kind of a good thing is what they're saying. Antifa means well, and they're standing up to Nazis. And Antifa are, as I was just saying at the beginning, like the anti-Nazi forces of World War II. This is coming from mainstream news sources, Sean. This is an embrace of political radicals on the left from people who are supposed to know better. No, it, it's laughable, and that type of uh, fan fiction-esque historical revisionism, um, it, it is actually what you would expect from a generation of children who have accomplished nothing and yet want to claim for themselves the valor earned by better men uh, under actual fire. You know, their, their parents marched in the civil rights movement, their grandfathers destroyed Hitler and Japanese imperialism, and their grandfathers ended slavery uh, while still somehow preserving the Union. 
And having accomplished nothing, we have an entire generation of people uh, who is apparently content to just exhume bodies of uh, casualties from wars past and kill them all over again so they can claim the moral superiority uh, that was earned by their parents, their grandparents, and their great-grandparents through actual bloodshed. The whole thing is sickening. There's so much ridiculous political gamesmanship going on. And, and like I said earlier, what I'm interested in is figuring out what do we have to do to stop this horrific violence uh, from, from happening over and over and over again. It's happened in Detroit. It's happened in Oakland. It's happened in Chicago. Uh, unfortunately, what happened in Charlottesville was not an isolated event. These things are happening over and over again, and we as a society need to figure out what we're actually going to do uh, to stop this violence from replicating itself again and again in every city across America. We're speaking to Sean Davis, co-founder of The Federalist. Uh, TheFederalist.com is one of my favorite sites for conservative opinion. Sean, uh, l- let, me, let me pose your question back to you. Okay, so what are, what are the steps? What should we do? What happens now? Uh, fantastic question. So I think the first thing we have to do with these uh, neo-Nazi groups, these uh, basically walking Crisco cans with daddy issues, is we should be ignoring them. Okay, if, if that tubby little white supremacist from Virginia is such a threat, why on earth is the leftist legacy media doing everything in their power to make him into a celebrity? Do they think that hurts his cause or do they think they, it, it helps it? Because uh, if I look at that situation, I say, you know what? This guy is vermin. The last thing I want to do is give him any attention. He is irrelevant. He matters not. Let's ignore him. Uh, and instead of doing that, they, they turn him into a celebrity. Um, so number one is you have to ignore these people. You cannot give them a platform. You cannot elevate them. You cannot turn them into celebrities for their own movement. The second thing they have to do is that when these groups get together uh, in different cities to protest this or that, you cannot give them space to destroy uh, to, to quote uh, the Baltimore official who watched his city burn down, uh, you cannot give them space to destroy. You have to take a very firm stance from law enforcement, from state troopers, from the National Guard if necessary, um, from local and county police. They have to ensure order. They have to prevent these groups from mixing. You have to separate them. You cannot just let this lawlessness abound and let people uh, you know, show up with bats uh, ready for a fight. That is not what you do to preserve the peace. That's what you do when you want violence to be incited. There was violence on both sides, right? I mean, just real quick, Sean, before we let you go, that, that is a true statement. It's indisputable. The Charlottesville uh, police chief said as much. I, I'm just amazed now that, that to say that is to is to almost, you know, strap a swastika on your armband, according to the media. It's like, well, that's just a recitation of fact, but it just goes to show how politicized this whole thing is. Sean Davis has got pieces up on thefederalist.com, uh, where he's a co-founder. You should go check it out. Everything else that you want to see at The Federalist will be up there as well. Sean, always appreciate you making the time, man. Come back soon, all right? Always a privilege. Thank you. Uh, team, we're going to come back and talk a bit more about uh, the issue of uh, abortion, Iceland, and the true modern Nazism. We'll be right back. Okay, it's been quite a week in the news cycle, team, and there's some things going on that aren't getting nearly enough attention. I want to get into some of them with our next guest. We've got Matt Walsh on the line. He's an author at The Blaze and at the Matt Walsh blog. His new book is The Unholy Trinity, Blocking the Left's Assault on Life, Marriage, and Gender. Matt Walsh, everybody. Matt, great to have you. Hey, Buck. Thanks for having me. Uh, You know, Matt, I watched the... uh, segment on CBS where they were talking about eliminating Down syndrome, and they ran a bunch of statistics at the beginning about how this was happening in Europe and what the levels were in America. 
And it was uh, I, I had two immediate reactions. But one is they are not just normalizing, but in fact, celebrating eugenics. And two, they, they were disappointed that America was lacking behind other parts of Western Europe when it comes to eugenics against those with Down syndrome. Yeah, I mean, and this is the way it was phrased in the, in the headline that uh, CBS posted, at least what they posted on Twitter, you know, ma- making it sound like uh, Iceland has uh, has actually cured the disorder when they haven't cured the disorder, they're just killing all the people with who have it, which, which is, which that is, it's not just like, well, that's like eugenics or similar to eugenics, that is eugenics, that's what it is, to, to get rid of the undesirables. And, uh, and, but this is a, this is the, just, we see that we're kind of shocked by it, but this is uh, not that foreign to us. It's going on in the United States as well. It may not be at the pace that apparently a lot of leftists want, but and I'm not. And it's a little bit hard to get. Unsurprisingly, the abortion industry isn't very forthcoming with statistics, so it's hard to get really good numbers on on what it is exactly here. But I've heard anywhere from seventy to ninety percent of Down syndrome children in America um, are are aborted. Certainly, the vast majority are. And uh, so again, this is this is happening here. This is actual eugenics, and this is where it's not like hyperbole or an exaggeration. This is this is where you find the kind of Nazi philosophy of getting rid of the um, the people who are quote burden on society. This is where you find it is is in the abortion industry. I know you wrote a piece for the Blaze. If you want to fight Nazism in America, fight the abortion industry. Uh, I want you to. I mean, look, I, I I agree with you. I just want you to extrapolate or, or continue on with your thesis. Tell everybody what you get into in the piece. Well, I think people have been panicking this week over the uh, you know the Nazi threat because of whatever it was seventy or eighty. 70 or 80, maybe less than that, uh, skinheads showed up at a, at a rally in, in Charlottesville. And I'm not, and I think that we absolutely, I've condemned them. I know you've condemned, I mean, most people have condemned, almost everyone agrees. All, not everyone, but almost everyone agrees that skinheads are bad and horrible. And most of us are not hesitant to condemn them in the harshest terms imaginable. I, I've said, Matt, that they're about as popular in a social sense. They're about as popular in this country as necrophiliacs and child molesters. I mean, those are things that exist too, but they are reviled. Yeah, yeah, I think I think right in that, and but who knows? Maybe child molesters. I think we make it to the point where even child molesters are more acceptable. But different topic. Certainly necrophiliac. Yeah, so I put them all in that in that uh, in that category, and that's so we all get that. But the, I don't. We're, we're not facing a scenario. I don't think where actual skinhead neo Nazis are going to take over the country and we're going to be living in the Fourth Reich. That that isn't going to happen. That's not where the real threat is, as far as the Nazi philosophy or mentality in america i think where you find it is in the abortion industry so it is it's hard for me to ignore the fact that the people on the left who are right now walking around accusing everyone who disagrees with them of being a a nazi are the same ones who celebrate while the abortion industry exterminates at this point we're up to 60 million human lives 60 million human lives since 1973 have been exterminated by the abortion industry which is about which is what, about five six times more than the Nazis ever ever killed. So to me, that's where you find it. That's where we should be looking. Now um, the the the, the story out of Iceland and and its quote eradic, eradication of Down syndrome, and which we've 
established in our discussion here and, and before, and I know you've been writing about it, is actually just the eradication of children who happen to be uh, likely to be born with, not even certain to be born with, not that that would even make it okay either, but it's not even certain that they would be born with Down syndrome and they are being aborted. It's about an 80% uh, likelihood based on, on current medical testing. Uh, but that's not the only place where you can look for a philosophy of eugenics when it comes to abortion. In fact, the entire abortion lobby, abortion industry and movement in this country is explicitly founded on eugenics principles. And, and I'm amazed that Democrats never have to reckon with this. If we're going to talk a bit about uh, pulling down Confederate monuments and, and looking at uh, relitigating different aspects and characters of the Civil War, how about relitigating Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger and the founding of the biggest eugenics movement in this country? history. Yeah, exactly. Planned Parenthood, this is something that we just, and when it, when it comes up, if ever you can get a leftist to actually talk about Margaret Sanger and the things that she believed, she was clearly a racist and she was a eugenicist. Uh, she, 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 you know, she cared more. I think from, from Margaret Sanger's position, it wasn't just about race. It was just, she wanted to get rid of the poor people, sick people, just anyone who couldn't contribute to society. She wanted to get rid of all of them. Including, you know, a lot of a lot of black people because they because especially back then, but now of course as well are affected by poverty more. Uh, but when you bring that up, the leftists will say, "Well, you know, you just have you have to understand within the historical context and blah blah blah." Yet they can't. Yet obviously they can't, that can't be applied to people that lived in the South in, in 1850. We we can't understand them in historical context. But someone like Margaret Sanger, who was more recent and actually established a. A, an organization that still is at work today killing people, that we have to understand in some kind of context, even though, look, she made it clear what she wanted to do. She started an organization, and that organization is doing the thing that she said she wanted it to do, and it's still doing it. So, yeah, we, we're, we're supposed to just, just look right past that, and I think it's... Uh, outrageous we're speaking to matt walsh he's an author at the blaze and he's got a book out called the unholy trinity which you can get on amazon or in bookstores near you matt tell me about oregon becoming the first state to offer free abortions for everyone including illegal aliens yeah this just i mean it's just an interesting timing that uh, this also happened this week with all this discussion of nazism that oregon now uh, has has they signed the governor signed the legislation that um Anyone in the state, including people who don't even live, forget about living in the state, but don't legally live in the country, can get a free abortion. That if, you, if you're if you're a, if you live if you have made the mistake for some reason of living in Oregon, uh, which at this point you just got to move. But if you've made that mistake, you will now be forced to directly pay for abortion. So it's, they don't even have the argument. You know, we hear this thing about well, we, we fund Planned Parenthood to the tune of five hundred million a year, but that's not uh, that's. We're not funding abortions because it's, it, it goes to a separate aspect of what they do, which is a bogus argument. But in this case, this is directly funding abortions. And um, so, again, it's the it's the eugenic mentality of, you know, we, we, we if somebody wants an abortion, they have an un, a quote unquote unwanted child. The last thing that can happen is for that child to see, you know, to take a breath in it or, or, or to see the light of day. We have to get rid of them because they're unwanted and they're no use to society. And so that's what Oregon's doing. And for illegal aliens as well, this is now considered, I suppose, in, under Oregon state law, this is now a, a basic medical right, because y you can get a, not only is it for residents of the state, but people who are not even in the country legally, they can depend on taxpayer dollars to end their unborn child's life. Yeah, I think it's interesting that 
uh, leftists don't have a problem with that. But now we're saying, you know, this, this effort to make sure that illegal aliens can get abortions here. What we're saying is, well, let's make sure that, we're, that you know, if an illegal immigrant wants to kill a kid, that we, that we allow that to happen. Let, let's make sure that we're essentially let's make sure we're killing illegal immigrant children. Should, shouldn't they be opposed to that? But it's the same thing as we have all, just by some great coincidence. We have all these abortion clinics that just so happen to be clustered in um, in low income, you know, heavily black uh, neighborhoods. And, you know, I think it was in wasn't it in New York City, Matt, uh, within the last few years. I believe I saw a statistic that there are more baby, more African-American babies aborted in New York City than born. Yeah, in New York City, if you're a black unborn child, you're more likely to be aborted than born. Um, and that is, it's it's at that rate or close to it in many cities across the country. It's just, it's a, this is, it's apocalyptic. The black community literally cannot survive with numbers like this. It's just, uh, it's incredible. And, and yet we, we have people who like to take uh, selfies and video and photos themselves kicking statues that 95% of the people who walk past don't even know who the statue is of or what it has to do with or anything else. That's, in our in our current discourse, considered bravery uh, on the left, when, when in reality, standing up to the abortion movement and actually standing for your principles on this, you better be ready for a lot of heat. They don't mess around. They, they, are, they are vicious to those who stand against their agenda. Yeah, all you have to do is look at um, what's happened with the Center for Medical Progress and just this... this uh, and every time it's failed, but they just they keep trying to, to do what they can to put these people in prison. If you go up to the, the abortion industry is extremely powerful, uh, obviously, and they've got the entire Democratic Party in their pocket. And if you go after them, you're going to you're going to pay for it. And, yeah, I would say that 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 it, it, it requires a little more boldness than um, than going after an inanimate object that's just been <laughs> knocked down. Although, you know, I mean, kicking a statue, I'm sure that will solve racism. So they should, they should just keep on doing that um, you know, until, until, until eventually there's no more racism. Matt Walsh is an author at The Blaws. His book is out. It's The Unholy Trinity, Blocking the Left's Assault on Life, Marriage, and Gender. Matt, really appreciate you coming to spend some time with us. Uh, talk soon. Hey, thanks, Buck. Appreciate it. Uh, team, we are going to go into a break here. We come back. Uh, I'm going to change the topic a bit and tell you about how y- you can't even have a statue with a stone gun at Yale now. Think about that for a second. Oh, it gets crazy. I'll tell you about it right after the break. Stay with me. Welcome back, team. Uh, I've had some fun bashing Yale's uh, completely insane and uh, unprincipled and nonsensical attempts to try and practice progressivism at some level, right? To try and have an, an outward show of how much Yale University, this multi-billion dollar, centuries-old institution, one of the great bastions of intellectual uh, elitism, it, it just has no particular standards for what is acceptable and what is not when it comes to trying to stay on the right side of the social justice warriors and uh, make it seem like Yale is on the cutting edge of leftist identity politics. So this is how you have, as I've said, and I'm I'm happy to see this is catching on. They will change the name of a residential college, which is just a fancy way of saying a dorm, a college dorm from John C. Calhoun, uh, because he was a pro-slavery uh, congressman to. Uh, well, I don't know what they changed it to something else. By the way, there's actually been a huge surge. I didn't mention this on the show yesterday, but I meant to in naming schools now instead of after political figures. Schools have figured out that that can just be a headache for you. 
So what you do is you name a school after like a, a an inanimate object, like uh, Mesa or you know Plateau or Ravine or Lake or something. I mean, they're just they just pick something or or maybe even an animal. You know, this is like sports teams now. The only things you're allowed to pick are animals, and that's until PETA has its way because the appropriation of animal identities for the furtherance of uh, commercial sports activities without due compensation to the animals that have created that brand, the sharks, the, uh, you know, the, the, well, I'm, I'm, all of a sudden I can't think of, I can't think of any of these, the Colts, the Broncos, the Buffaloes, the, you know, you go through all the different versions of this, right? Wildcats and lions and, you know, every cool animal, right? Has a sports team somewhere named after it. Uh, but, PETA will eventually get to that, I'm sure. In the meantime, back to Yale. Uh, so, yeah, they're naming schools things that are inanimate objects just to avoid the politically correct p- uh, police, the PC police. Yale can't change its name because people want to go to Yale because it's Yale. They don't really know. I've spent time at a lot of different universities. I've visited lots of schools when I was in school and before I attended. And I can tell you that, you know, they're all really kind of the same at this point. Uh, it's just a matter of reputation and location, but th- they all have the same kinds of resources and at, 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 this, at a certain level, a certain tier of school. So it's, you're, you're paying for the reputation and you're paying to be around certain people that are also paying for that reputation. So if you change the name, all of a sudden you are not going to have quite the same value because it's brand value, right? So Elihu Yale, the slave trader, English colonial slave trader, uh, they will not change the name of the school. But I should also note Amherst College, named for Lord Jeffrey Amherst, who gave sm- which is my college, he gave smallpox-infected blankets to the Indians uh, or the Native Americans, pardon me, microaggression bucks, slap yourself on the head. Um, they, uh, they will not change the name of the school because people go there because it's Amherst College, right? I mean, would I have had more fun going to a school in the South which a, with a— better climate and a much more attractive student body population? Yes, I think the answer is I would have. But nonetheless, I went to Amherst because it was Amherst, and that seemed like a good idea at the time. Same is true of Yale, where people go there because it's Yale. So they're not going to change the name. So there are limits to this, right? But even though there are limits, there are there's nothing that is too petty for them to do. So there are things that are too big for them to do, but they will not do they will not draw the line at wow, that's just nonsensical and petty. So at the Sterling Memorial Library in Yale, they have, it's been there for, I don't know, probably a century or two, who knows, long, long time. They have a carving of a Native American and a Puritan. And the Puritan, this just happened, by the way. This is just the, the Yale Alumni Magazine has just reported on this. And the Puritan has a firearm. I mean, like a blunderbuss, right? Not exactly something that you're going to, you know, if you walked in with this, to try and like like rob a convenience store, they wouldn't even think you were serious, right? It's it's not it's like a flintlock mechanism firearm. I don't think I don't think this is really anything that anyone has to worry about today. But they because of, you know ha- because hashtag gun violence, they have actually covered up this stone statue, the, the the part of it where there's a firearm. Now what's fascinating is that the Puritans rifle is covered up. I mean they just decided to do this because they think it might it might. Uh, uh, quote, its presence at a major entrance was not appropriate. So having a gun depicted in a statue at a time when people carried guns for hunting, 
for survival, for food, for protection, for any number of things. Having a gun is unacceptable. Uh, but the Native Americans' bow and arrow, which I can tell you as someone who actually has spent some time training on bow and arrow and understands broadheads versus, you know, the, 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 ver- the compound bow versus long bow versus I, I've actually spent time on this stuff. I've, believe it or not, growing up, did a fair amount of, of uh, I guess, bow work, we'd call it. Um, that's not covered up. Well, that's also, yes, can be used for hunting, obviously, but it's a weapon of war, too. A bow and arrow is one of the oldest weapons of war. So I'm confused. Is it that, is it only guns are bad, or is it weapons and violence are bad, or why is it just that the uh, the Native American is able to carry a, a weapon of war, but not the Puritan? Is it because of, you know, the patriarchy and uh, power imbalance? I mean, when you look at this, by the way, it's just farcical, the whole thing. It's practically like a, it's a stone carving that you'd really have to look at to even know there was a firearm there. You really have to pay close attention to it. I mean, who saw this? Think about the mentality. Who saw this and was like, oh my gosh, like there's like a gun that's made of stone in the hands of that Puritan. And like, he has like one shot and it'll take him a minute to like reload it. But it's like so dangerous. And like, oh my gosh, like we cannot have a gun, even if it's made of stone and it is from the 17th century. We cannot have a gun on campus. It's like so scary. I think that the answer is that that is pretty much, I don't know if that was what the voice actually sounded like of the person, but that's pretty much what happened here. I think we can say this with, with a, a degree of, of clarity, that, that yes, in fact, they uh, covered this up because like it was just like a gun and it was made of stone and it was like scary and like the bow and arrow is not scary. Let me tell you something, bow and arrow in the right hands or the wrong hands can be very scary. Discussion for another time. All right, uh, I want to talk to you about novels. Why you should be reading novels, in my opinion, especially these days. We'll have a little chat about that when we come back. Hey, Buck Saxton back with you all now, guys. I just wanted to also say to you to please uh, visit our sponsors. That's a great way to support the show because I I know people want to help, and I really appreciate that. Uh, Those of you who listen to me every day understand that I put everything I have into the show. I spend a majority of my day reading, researching, and preparing uh, for the time, however much of it is uh, it is that I, I get with you, uh, including doing a lot of background research, uh, doing a lot of reading on, on history. Uh, I know I, I could do a show off the top of my head off reading headlines, and I know a lot of other people do that, and that works for them, and that's fine, but I, I try to, especially because I'm coming later on in the day, uh, bring something special to you if you're a uh, kind enough uh, to give me the honor of your time. Uh, And I I do very much appreciate it. It really does mean a lot to me, uh, every single one of you who listens. But if you're looking for ways to support the show, uh, which, look, this this stuff all matters, right? Every, I am operating in a a capitalist world and every quarter, the the powers that be take a look at at these things. And uh, I have some fantastic sponsors and I do live reads for them. But uh, if you would go check out the sponsors that we have on the show, uh, because that's a really great way to support the show and can get you know a, a product in addition to uh, just supporting the show. So thank you very much, those of you who have familiarized yourself with uh, Black Rifle Coffee or uh, Bowl and Branch or uh, ZipRecruiter, any of the wonderful sponsors we have on the show. It really 
is is a help and it's a it's a way of if you want to show support and you want to check out some fantastic products in the process uh, when i give you those urls uh, those website addresses to go check out for our sponsors that's a great way to do it i was also thinking about how i told you yesterday that uh, i was going through books and it, it was it's quite a process you know i, I was uh, going through the uh, the additional uh, difficulty of trying to separate out what I need and what I don't in my desk. And um, I am uh, in a process of trying to shed unwanted uh, documents. And I'm actually going to be dropping some stuff off to have it shred because, you know, old medical files or uh, old things that just I, I don't particularly want to throw into any old dumpster or credit cards and things like that. So I found a place and they said, well, we charge you by the box. And I said, well, I don't even know if I have a box full of stuff to bring in. I mean, I just maybe have a few, maybe a, a half a box or something. I said, well, it's by the box. And they said, well, maybe you have some old books you want to get rid of. And I thought, oh, well, that's a good idea. And then I thought a bit more about it. And it felt all of a sudden my my actual my books had taken on there was like a personification process where, you know, my my old copy of, you know, The Count of, of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas was like, May we, no, do not throw me in the shredder, monsieur, do not destroy the book, you know you love it. And, you know, my, my French books uh, all of a sudden sound like Lumiere from uh, Beauty and the Beast, which is a great movie, and I'll admit that to you. I don't care. Uh, the remake was not, but the original cartoon is a fantastic movie, the Disney cartoon. And, you know, my other books on, like, uh, Carl Schmidt on dictatorship and the dictator's handbook and the politics of authoritarian rule, they're all like, you better not throw us out. You should keep us on the shelf where you can read about the dictatorship and learn about what not to do with the government. So there's a lot of books that I was thinking maybe I don't need to keep. And uh, all of a sudden I find myself not wanting to, uh, not wanting to just toss them and get them shredded, uh, get them destroyed. It just felt wrong. It's one thing to pass them on, you know, it's one thing to pass them on to someone else, but it's something else entirely, at least it feels like something else entirely to me to, to truly destroy the book Bark, do not do it. Don't give it away. The Count of Monte Cristo, you have it on your shelf, monsieur. Um, and I was going to do Plato's Republic, but like that would turn into a Greek guy. And all of a sudden it's, Epharisto, Parakalo. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's really, that's not ancient Greek, so it doesn't really work there. Um, but I've got all these, these books, these old copies of books that I... Of thinking about, I've got uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Great Gatsby. Well, perhaps we could throw that one in the dumpster because if it's a soft copy, I mean, come on, what did you pay for it? Five, six bucks? Come on. Um, Great Gatsby, I, I find to be one of the more overrated works of American literature. Just saying, I, I'm, I'm keeping it real here. Um, but uh, yeah, it was all of a sudden I, I had this this recognition that, you know, Throwing out my books, shredding my books. That just, I don't like that. I'll give them to people. I'll donate them, sure. And I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to end up doing. But all of a sudden, it felt like, uh, it felt like the scene in, uh, you know, what is it? The Little Mermaid when uh, all of a sudden, 
uh, he's like they're they're trying to throw the crab in the pot, and the crab is like, no, don't throw me in. Uh, so anyway, that's except books instead of little sea creatures that speak all of a sudden. Yeah, that's right. I've seen all the Disney movies. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shy away from this. I love the Disney. the The old school Disney movies are fantastic entertainment with great music and. I, I my favorite are uh, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and The Lion King. Those are my top three. Although I'm also a big fan of the cartoon Robin Hood, where Robin Hood is a fox and the Sword in the Stone. In fact, my little sister Daisy, who's one of the coolest people I've ever met, uh, jokingly sometimes refers to me as Archimedes. Who? Who? What? What? Who? Who? What? 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 Oh, bird! I see no bird. So, you know, you've got if you haven't seen the by the way, if you have kids and you haven't had them watch the Disney Sword in the Stone, it's you'll thank me later. It's one of it's fantastic. They just don't make them like that anymore. It's a great cartoon. Uh, So anyway, I didn't want to throw my books out and uh, I'm trying to find a way I'm going to give them away or find. It's tough, though. You know, people don't want so even donation places don't want soft copies. And I'm kind of far now from the Strand bookstore, so they don't want to take my old books. Um, but then I was thinking about something else that I wanted to share with you for a moment here, and that is that uh, I um, I realize now more than ever as we have all these political discussions and uh, things are so hot right now, so heated about belief and what people think about this and that and the other thing. Uh, and I used to be somebody who was all about nonfiction and history. And my shelf was just one big homage to nonfiction and history, my bookshelf, and also on my Kindle. And now I find myself increasingly splicing in novels and fiction and even escapism and, you know, art. And and when I mean art, I don't mean actually books of paintings or something. I don't mean art history, but I just mean... Uh, the creative side. I think that that's a necessary escape for for all of us. And whether you get it from watching Netflix or you get it from reading an old novel. I mean, I've really tried to make a list of the books that I feel like I should have been assigned, especially on the novel side, that I never was. And I kind of wish now that somebody would tell me that my life, part of my life was, uh, was required work for me to just read all the great novels ever written. I mean, I know when I was a teenager, this was a burden and I just wanted to go play sports and chase girls. I mean, I'm just saying that's what I was doing. And now that I'm, you know, a 35 year old and I'm, of course, passing on my wisdom to the younger generation of 20 somethings, as I was telling you about last weekend, novels, creative work, uh, the, the, the life of the mind outside of what is reality is important. Uh, and I'm I'm letting myself drift into that more, and especially with what you see these days and the news cycle and everything, I I'm a big proponent of it. I think you do your I think do yourself a favor and allow yourself to pick up that old. Think about what the novel is that you've heard, and I'm sure I don't know if it's Moby Dick or Catcher in the Rye, or Crime and Punishment, uh, Dracula, which I myself went back and read in its entirety recently. It's a fantastic novel. Think of what that novel is that you haven't read, that you think everybody's read, and you've heard about it a million times. In fact, you've heard so much about it uh, that you feel like you've already read it, but you haven't. And just get it. Pick up a, a paperback copy. Go on Amazon or go to gotten around to. And I just uh, hope that maybe you would uh, consider doing the same. 
Thank you, as always, team, for hanging out with me. Uh, do download the show if you get a chance. It's Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes. Share it with a friend. Tomorrow's already Thursday. Week is flying by. We've got a lot to do, though, so I'll see you at the same time. Shields high.